1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: Here's my favorite rant for the day, excerpted from our podcast, which you can find over at TomHartman.com. Welcome back to our program. Tom Hartman here with you. And back in in the late 1940s, a uh, reporter for the Chicago Sun uh, by the name of Milton Mayer, uh, went over to Germany and spent a year there and interviewed ten quote good Germans to ask them what the hell happened to your country back in the early 30s. Um, how did how did this come about? None of these guys uh, had been active, you know, like in the military. They they all worked throughout the throughout the war. One was a bricklayer, one was a college professor, one was a baker, and and uh, I, w- I just wanted to read to you very quickly uh, as a setup for our next guest. Uh, one of the one of the comments that this was the college professor that uh, Milton Mayer interviewed. The book is called "They Were They Thought They Were Free." It was published in uh, 1953, I think. And what this guy said was, and I quote: "What happened here?" was the gradual habituation of the people, little by little, to being governed by surprise, to receiving decisions deliberated in secret, to believing that the situation was so complicated that the government had to act on information which the people could not understand, or so dangerous that even if the people could understand it, it could not be released because of national security. The separation of government from people, this widening of the gap, took place so gradually and so insensibly, each step designed disguised perhaps even not even intentionally as a temporary emergency measure or associated with true patriotic allegiance or a real social purpose And all the crises and reforms, and there were real reforms, so occupied the people that they did not see the slow motion underneath, the whole process of government growing remoter and remoter. To live in this process is absolutely not to be able to notice it. Please try to believe me. Unless one has a much greater degree of political awareness, acuity, than most of us ever had the occasion to develop, each step was so small, so inconsequential, so well explained, or on occasion regretted, that unless one were detached from the whole process from the beginning unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle what these little measures that no patriotic german could resent must someday lead to one more no more saw it developing from day to day than a farmer in his field sees the corn growing but one day it's over his head you see one doesn't see exactly where or how to move believe me this is true each act each occasion is worse than the last but only a little worse. You wait for the next and the next. You wait for the one great shocking occasion, thinking that others, when such a shock comes, will join you in resisting somehow. You don't want to act or even to talk alone. You don't want to go out of your way to make trouble. Why not? Well, you're not in the habit of doing it. And it's not just fear, fear of standing alone that restrains you, it is also genuine uncertainty. Uncertainty is a very important factor, and instead of decreasing as time goes on, it grows. Outside in the streets, in the general community, everyone seemed happy. One hears no protest. You know, in France or Italy, there's slogans against the government, but not so much in Germany. You speak privately to your colleagues, some of whom certainly feel as you do, and what do they say? They say, it's not so bad. You're seeing things. You're an alarmist, and you are an alarmist. You're saying this must lead to that, but you can't prove it. These are the beginnings, yes, but how do you know for sure when you don't know the end? How do you know or even surmise the end? On the one hand, your enemies, the law, the regime, the party intimidate you. On the other hand, your colleagues poo-poo you as pessimistic or even neurotic. But that one great shocking occasion when tens or hundreds of thousands of people will join you in the streets never comes. That's the difficulty. If the last and worst act of the whole regime had come immediately after the first and smallest, And thousands, yes, millions would have been sufficiently shocked if, let us say, the gassing of the Jews in 43 had come immediately after the German firm stickers on the windows of the non-Jewish shops in 33. But, of course, this isn't the way it happens. In between come all the hundreds of little steps, some of them imperceptible, each of them preparing you not to be shocked by the next step step b isn't so much worse than the c is so not so much worse than b etc and one day this is the last paragraph and one day too late your principles if you were ever sensible of them all rush in upon you the burden of self-deception has grown too heavy and some minor incident in my case it was my little boy hardly more than a baby saying jew swine Collapses it all at once. And you see that everything, everything has changed and changed completely under your nose. The world you live in, your nation, your people is not the world you were in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring the houses, the shops, the jobs, the mealtimes, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays. But the spirit, which you never noticed because you made the lifelong mistake of identifying it with the forms, the spirit has changed. And now you live in a nation of hate and fear. And the people who hate and fear do, don't, do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. And now you live in a system which rules without responsibility even to God. He was talking about you know how the Germans were not documenting. Amy Siskind has a new book out. It's called The List, a week-by-week reckoning of Trump's first year. And it is absolutely astonishing. She's on the line with us. Uh, Amy, thanks so much for writing this book. And thanks so much for coming on our program.
0: Thank you, Tom. That was was an amazing setup. I learned something from listening to you.
1: Milton Mayer's Mayer's book is astonishing. And if you want to find that quote, just Google, uh, they thought they were free and my name, because I've written about five articles using those quotes. So tell us about your book.
0: Well, I, I sense the same thing was happening from the time Trump ran his campaign, that he didn't really have an agenda or political policies that we would typically see from a Republican or Democrat that he was more using quote unquote a policy like the wall to stoke hatred and that his MO was more to pick on marginalized communities and women and people with disabilities and to rally um, part of our country around that that would be loyal to him and had similar leanings. And what I started to notice in the immediate time he took office was the Southern Poverty Law Center tracking the amount of hate crimes. And Trump, in those early weeks, instead of condemning them, said we should... Uh, you know, give them understanding, just as he did weeks later in Charlottesville. And the first weeks, he was attacking the New York Times and the cast of Hamilton. Remember that? Yep. And it just occurred to me, like, these things are not normal. He's trying to silence dissent. He's flaming hatred against others in our country. Even after he won, it doesn't look like he's going to do anything to unify our country. And he has no plan. So I decided shortly after that to start to keep a list of things that were not normal. And in the early weeks, the list was very short. It was nine items in the first week and then grew to 18 items in the second week, which back then I thought was shocking. Um, Of course, as you fill out the first year, of November to November, we reached up to 140, and, and now we're even beyond that. Per week. As he's, yeah, as he's staffed up his regime, and now we have many hands at work of, of deconstructing our democracy and taking away rights and freedoms and um, taking away protections of our environment and, and of our citizens. So it, it is gradual, but the amount in each week is just shocking. And people in the chaos miss things, and they forget. And so I think it's a really important exercise to revisit what we as a country have, have already lost in the first year.
1: We're talking with Amy Siskind. She is a former Wall Street executive, currently the president and co-founder of The Agenda, Agenda, compiler of The Weekly List, now being archived by the Library of Congress. And she's the author of the new book, The List, a week-by-week reckoning of Trump's first year, just published yesterday. The website, theweeklylist.org. You can tweet her at Amy underscore Siskind. Uh, S-I-S-K-I-N-D. Amy, what what are the things that really stand out to you over this past year and a few months of Trump's administration?
0: Well, first off, it happened a lot more quickly, and he's done a lot more to deconstruct our democracy in a short period of time than I thought he would be capable of doing. If you step back and look at Trump, he really has focused on two things. One is enriching himself, and the second is staying in power.
1: Well, himself And and his billionaire buddies, right?
0: Well, the tax bill, for example, benefits. And deregulation. Deregulation is part of staying in power. He has only about half of his um, senior staff is filled. He hasn't been able to replace a lot of his senior staff. Um, About a third of our executive branch key roles are still on staff. So basically, he's consolidated power into his own hand. Or put people in power in the executive branch like DeVos and Pruitt, who are basically deconstructing the agencies they run and working with insiders and lobbyists to peel away regulations that once protected us, our environment, marginalized communities. Um, And it's happened at an alarming rate. I mean, you're, you're talking some of these laws have been in place for half a century, like Sessions attacking the Civil Rights Act and saying sexual orientation should not be a protected class or um, his new FCC chair, in addition to repealing net neutrality, um, striking a 1970s decision that stopped companies like Sinclair Broadcasting from reaching more than 70% 70 of local markets. So there's so many different ways um, that he has silenced dissent, taking away our our media's um, accessibility to the regular person. Um, and taking away rights um, and protections of marginalized communities. It's happened at a shocking rate. And there's, if you're asking me, the one thing that I learned that is the most upsetting is, you know, you take high school history and you learn there are checks and balances so something like this can never happen. But I think what we've discovered is there are norms but not laws in place to stop something like this from happening um, because our, our Republican Party in control of the House of Senate Is doing nothing to stop what's happening, and and that's really disappointing to me. Beyond what I'm doing as just an American citizen, that people are not putting country first.
1: Yeah, and and that uh, norms versus laws is is a a pretty important one. What uh, we have about a minute and a half left before we're going to hit a hard break here, Amy. What. Do you see this moving? I mean, I set this up with a with a with a German talking about the difference between nineteen thirty two and nineteen forty two. Do you see us moving in a similar direction? I realize people think that's hyperbolic, but I, I'm I don't, frankly.
0: No, I don't either, but I do believe he's not gonna make it out of his first term. I think there are three co- cross currents and any three of one of the three could take him down. One is the Me Too movement what's going on with Stormy Daniels now, um, allegations of payments that weren't declared and or threatening. Um, the second would be the Mueller probe, which has a lot of dimensions to it. And the third, which is something I've been harping on and is finally getting attention, is Cambridge Analytica and all the different ways that our election was interfered with. And if you read the list, there are items that people have long forgotten about, like the voter rolls in North Carolina being impacted the day of the election in blue counties, but next door in red counties not. Um, DeepRupin Analytics, one of the RNC vendors, putting information on 200 million voters online unprotected where anybody could have taken it. These are things that just get lost in the chaos. Um, so th- there's a prospect, I believe, that we didn't have a fair election. But I do believe one of those three things will take him down before he sees the end of his first term. I and hope I you're America- right,
1: because I keep remembering when Hitler was, was in trouble politically in 1937, he just invaded Poland, and that was, you know, and suddenly his popularity exploded. And <laughs> Anyway, Amy Siskin, uh, the book is The List, a week-by-week reckoning of Trump's first year. Amy, great work. Thank you for being with us.
0: Thank you for having
1: me. Great speaking with you. We'll be right back. Great show today. You know, Hannah Arendt uh, documented how in Nazi Germany, little tiny incremental things done very, very quickly added up to the Nazi regime. Amy Susskind is doing the same chronicling of the Trump campaign. She's on her show today, plus Congressman Mark Pocant answering your questions for the hour. Check out our free podcast, our commercial free podcast, excuse me, uh, at tomhartman.com and the entire show. Plus, you can get clips of the show right here on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter.